And now, here they are, the Beatles! Hi, I'm Justin Shears, and welcome to Only a Northern Song. In this series, I'll be exploring the words and the music of the Beatles, but not through the usual tracks that we all know so well. I'll be delving into my extensive collection of outtakes, home recordings and demos, alternate mixes and interviews, to shed some new light on lesser-known aspects of the Beatles' recorded legacy. There are many, many million words in the English language. Many of these words are adjectives, but I'm not going to use any of them. They've been done to death by critics and compares alike and there aren't any left for these artists. Let me just say that here are the world's greatest and... Let's, let's just have it completely silent for one second while I say, the Beatles! Nineteen sixty-five was quite a fragmented year for the Beatles. The demands of filming their new movie, as well as the need for concert tours to promote new records, would have an impact upon their songwriting and opportunities to record. Sessions at Abbey Road would have to be squeezed in between other commitments, more so than previous years. Trips to the Bahamas and Austria would take up much of the first quarter of the year, only to be replaced by filming in and around London. The Beatles' first live show of 1965 was the New Musical Express annual Pole Winners Concert at the Empire Pool in Wembley on the afternoon of the 11th of April, performing five songs to an audience of 10,000. Oh, on two. I'm 
Beatles' presence on BBC Radio would come to an end on the 26th of May, three years after it had begun. The Beatles no longer felt the need to record live sessions for broadcast, which had been a staple ingredient in the recipe for their early success and exposure to the British public. With a mixture of singles, songs from Beatles for Sale and the new movie soundtrack, The Beatles Invite You to Take a Ticket to Ride was the rather uninspiring title for their last feature program on the BBC. I wonder if we've got a chance now to, um, well, I think we have, uh, doing the first airing uh, of one of the songs on the film. Yeah, Yeah, let's do one of the first airings. Let's do one of of them called The Night Before. This this song is one that we do on uh, Salisbury Plain. It was written by Denny Piercy, you know him? (laughs) Yes, of of whom you once said. Yes, a parade of... That's him. That's him, yeah. Whom he was. A budding young composer. <laughs> <laughs> so here he, here he goes, Danny Piercy and his orchestra. With Why do they all say Danny Piercy and his orchestra? I don't know. Oh, because I wrote it down that way on the script. Oh, well, That's there fine. we go. Why don't they say his orchestra and Danny Piercy? Well, try it that way, shall we? His orchestra and Danny Piercy and a song from the film. The night, night before. And just in case you didn't catch it, this is The Beatles and The Night Before.
only live recording of the night before, direct from BBC Radio's Piccadilly Studios in London. June 1965 would see a European tour of France, Italy and Spain, with set lists which would largely be the same as those taken to the United States two months later. Nearly 18 months since their first visit to the continent, Paris would be the first stop on this two-week jaunt. Merci. 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 Uh, salut. 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 Notre, uh, et maintenant, maintenant, une chanson, chanson, qui s'appelle I'm a loser. I'm a loser And I'm not what I appear to be Of all the love I have won or have lost There is one love I should never have lost She was a girl in a million, my friend I should have known she would win Merci beaucoup. <clears throat> yes. This song, this one, which, can you understand? I can. Une chanson, chanson again, de notre LP. Anyway, it's. Singing. 
I want to be your man, Ringo! We'd like to sing.
Highlights from the evening show at Paris's Palais de Sport. Leon and Nice would also be treated to a visit from the Beatles, as would Milan, Genoa and Rome in Italy, as well as Madrid and Barcelona in Spain. The Beatles would never return to any of these cities ever again. The first day of August saw the Beatles appear at Blackpool's ABC Theatre for the television variety show Blackpool Night Out and was the only British television promotion of help. Alongside several songs from singles and the new soundtrack LP, Paul made his solo debut on stage. We like to do something now which we've never ever done before, and it's a track of our new LP. And this song's called Yesterday. And so, for Paul McCartney of Liverpool, opportunity now. Yesterday, from Blackpool Night Out, Paul would repeat his solo performance for American television audiences on The Ed Sullivan Show in just two weeks' time. How long are you going to be in the States when you do that tour, you know? Uh, Four weeks. Who? Isn't it? Two and a half weeks. Two and a half weeks. Two and a half weeks. Can you hear me? 
Yeah, or stadiums mostly, huh? Like yeah, Jay. stadiums mostly. Yeah. yeah. We'll be doing a couple of rounds of baseball before we go on, just to limber up, you know. Will you? Is that what you call it? Rounds of baseball? Maybe not. No, it's close enough. If you can do a round yeah. of baseball, then it'll be very interesting. Square of baseball, then. Of How would you like that? Yeah, I think I'd like that. Fine. Goodbye, Ringo. What, what, John? Round of bread, that's nice. Round of bread? Yes. Well, have one yourself. Round the corner's not bad, either. What, what, when's your date when you first go to the States? What's the first date of the year? Uh... Um, we open New York. Shea Stadium. <laughs> when are we, do you know? Anybody knows? 13th of August? We're all a bit vague on dates and things. Yeah, we always have been. Briefly, give me no kidding on that. Some sort yeah. of a schedule of where we are going to be in the States besides Shea Stadium. Do you know? know? The only other place I know is Houston and oh, California. I think we're doing Ted Sullivan's show. Oh, yes. Who? Ted Sullivan's show. You better clean that up before you get there. That's a big show. No, you are good. Los Angeles, we go there and all that. Yeah. Hollywood. Two Bowl. shows there. in Chicago. San Francisco, we go there. Yeah. How many are you going to do in Shea Stadium? Just one? So, just one. Who? Two. Kaminsky? Me just joking. Listen, though, uh, no, as I said before, we're dead vague about the things, and it'd be better just to ask someone who knows about it. The Beatles flew into New York City on the 13th of August 1965, and many of the journalists who had followed the band on their US tour 12 months earlier were again there to greet them including Miami's Larry Kane. You said before that uh, I asked you what you were looking forward to most on the tour. Uh, is there any particular highlight? Um, I don't know. I think every time we come, there's a new highlight. You know, uh, I love America personally, you know, because it knocks me out America. Everything's so sort of different and fast and great. You guys have been here uh, three times. And it's really a very short time, you know, considering the fact that... Uh, you do have a very fantastic following. Uh, would you like to spend more time here in the future? I'd like to spend more time if we could come in sort of and, and live like normal people. Ringo, thanks a lot, and we'll be talking throughout the upcoming tour. Thank thanks you. Thanks a lot, Larry. All the best. I have with me George Harrison. How are you doing, George? I'm very well, Larry. And how are you? Fine. You're glad to be back in America. Yeah, it's great. Don't you think a lot of times you'd like to spend more time here? In the States? Yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely, you know. I mean, in fact, one of my ambitions before we uh, became well-known over here was to bring a car over here and just drive around. You know, you take a lot of time. Yeah, I'm sure you'd like to but do it. But the thing is, you it's, can't do it's it impossible now. now, you know. We've just got to see what we can while we're touring. Still, you know, we'll be able to come back in the future. Have you changed any format uh, in your performances, your concerts for this year? No, not really. The only difference is that we've got more new songs to sing and, and uh, you know, that's the main thing that's changed around. We've got, may have a new suit or something, but basically, we, you know, we've always been remained the same whether we sing different tunes or not. Yeah. George, it was great talking to you and we'll be talking to you throughout the tour. Okay, Larry, yeah. Take care. Have you ever found yourself in a personal con a personal confrontation with someone over this? Physically, a fight? Oh, yes, now there, that, that brings it to mind. We were in Paris a uh, year last February, and the first night backstage at the Olympia, the press officer had not given the press conference, you see, and wouldn't let the press photographers in. Well, they burst into the Beatles dressing room, and uh, about ten of them got in there, and we had to throw them out physically, and there was a great big punch-off. It was nice. Did you survive okay? Oh, yeah, enjoyed every minute of it. <laughs> Keeps me fit. WFUN's Larry Kane with the Beatles and road manager Mal Evans in New York City.
Another old friend was also waiting. Ed Sullivan welcomed the Beatles back on the 14th of August, pre-recording a show which wouldn't be seen by American TV audiences until the 12th of September. song we'd like to sing it's the last one for tonight I'd like to thank you all it's been wonderful it's been great yes wonderful. and it's also our latest record and it's the title song it's also the title song from our latest film called help
illustrate the four of you on the way you pan yourselves. You pan yourselves magnificently. You're honored by your own country. You're loved by our country. God love you all. Thank you. The Beatles' last performance on The Ed Sullivan Show. The mundane questions and spurious stories which had followed the Beatles on their last trip to the US re-emerged this time around, as an exasperated Paul explains to Larry Kane. Paul, uh, last night on wire service here in America broadcast a report that uh, you were absolutely definitely engaged uh, to Jane Asher. What's the story uh, on this? We've done this a hundred times. <laughs> yeah, we have. But it, it doesn't seem to get in anybody's heads, you know. The thing is that... Uh, we, you know that we've been in the hotel room nearly all the time. And That's right. The only time we've been out was the Ed Sullivan show. And I haven't seen anyone, you know, to sort of talk to about this anyway. So somebody has obviously just made it up. And uh, then, you know, the next day sort of comes around and I've, I'm quoted as having said it. So what can you do, you know? I mean, uh, I might as well say it for all, for all that, you know, I might as well. It's just that it... You know, I didn't say it. They say said it. it, like a million other things. You know, they. What was this business about Sammy Davis? You know, I, I heard this the other night. Somebody, somebody said we said turned that. him away. Yeah. You know, so I phoned him up and I said, "What's this? You know, did we turn you away or something?" He said, "No, I got there late and everything." And the, the whole porter said, "Mr. Paul McCartney says that he's asleep," so he took that as an insult, obviously, like anyone would. You know, but uh, I explained to him what really happened and that everyone was in bed. You know, except me, and I was just had my, sorry, just had my toothbrush in my hand, ready to go to bed, and someone said, "Sammy Davis is there." So, you know, I said, "Well, can you tell Sammy that we are going to bed now?" You know, and I'm sorry, and we'll see him later. So, so anyway, we phoned it up. I phoned up last night. We cleared it all. You know, he was surprised that it got into such a big thing. All these little things, you know, they get blown up so much. It's ridiculous. Half of them don't even happen. The Beatles achieved many firsts for performing artists, but in terms of live shows, they continuously set and broke records throughout their entire touring career. Perhaps one event which took even the Beatles by surprise was their appearance at New York's Shea Stadium on the 15th of August 1965. Playing to a record crowd of 56,000 people, the largest crowd ever for a concert to that point, this momentous occasion was captured by multiple cameras for a TV documentary, a joint venture commissioned by Brian Epstein's NEMS Enterprises and Ed Sullivan's Superfilms. The show traced the Beatles' dramatic entrance by helicopter, their preparations backstage, as well as some of the support acts. Unfortunately, the sound recorded for the documentary was below par, as were some of the performances themselves, so much so that the Beatles would sweeten some of the tracks by re-recording them in early 1966. But despite all this, there can be no doubt that Shea Stadium represents the zenith of the Beatles' touring career. Now, ladies and gentlemen, honoured by their country, decorated by their queen, and loved here in America, here are the Beatles! Here they come! The Beatles made their entry and exit to Shea Stadium in New York by a helicopter. Um, and I think uh, George can fill us in on a few of the details. You didn't actually drop into the arena. No. What did you do, uh, George? Um, they, they wouldn't allow us to drop right into the arena. And so we had to land on the, the roof of the World Fair. From there we went uh, into the stadium 
in a Wells Fargo armored truck. <laughs> that was good. I didn't think Wells Fargo was still going, actually. Well, the Indians got them all years ago. And then in an underground tunnel? No. Um, oh, you came right into the middle of the track? Yeah, right into the... Uh, Right into the stadium. Uh, the reason I don't notice is because there were about 50,000 standing up on their chairs yeah, in front yeah, of me. Yeah. Uh, and you went out the same way. Yeah, I went out by helicopter, yeah. He seemed to be circling around. Before. Well, yeah, that's the thing. When we, we got on the helicopter on Wall Street, and instead of going right to the show, the fellow started going round, zooming round the stadium, yeah. saying, look at that, isn't yeah. it great, fellas? And look at the world's fur, and look at this, and we're hanging on there by the skin of our teeth, thinking, you know, let's get out of here. You could have done without that.
Thank you. I'd like to carry on with a song that was on, on, on al the album before last. And uh, it's called Everybody's Trying to Be My Baby. Well, they took some honey from a tree, dressed it up, and they go all the
Well, let's have a, an assessment now of your feelings about the uh, the initial concert in Shea Stadium. Uh, well, it was marvellous. It was the biggest crowd we ever played to. Was it really? Yeah. Even counting Australia? Yeah, anywhere in the world. It was the biggest live show, I think, anybody's ever done, yes. we told us. Yes, sure And it was fantastic, you know. And uh, it was just great. They could almost hear us as well, even though they were making a lot of noise, because the amplification was It was terrific, very good, yeah. actually. I must confess, I, I could only distinguish about three of the numbers, which I happened to know, and could hear... Yeah, the, well, the, the well-known ones you can pick up. That's right, yeah. Did you do anything uh, that you don't normally do in yeah, um, concerts? We did I'm Down, so, I, you know, because I did the organ on the record, I decided to play it on stage for the first time. I didn't really know what to do because I felt naked with that guitar, so I was doing old Jerry Lee, was putting my foot on it, and, for, and George couldn't play for laughing. You know, I was doing it for a laugh, but, you know, the kids didn't really know what I was doing. I was just jumping about in the organ. I only played about two bars of it. Yeah. You, you spotted all the, the banners hung out on the yeah, TV. Yeah. There was one that, that uh, interested me. I made a sort of mental note to ask you about it, and it said, as John says, give us a kiss. Now, yeah, this isn't something you've used back home, is it? Is it no, a phrase you've used here? It, it, it's from the Hard Day's Night film, uh -huh. and some fellow's on the train, and he's shouting out his night, asking for a kiss. Yeah. Somebody mentioned it yesterday, I couldn't remember. I just remember then. It must have been that. It's strange. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the bubbles coming down and throwing sweets and... Yeah, yeah, well, nothing really reached us because we were so <laughs> far away, you know, but we could see Kill all the posters. Me. Did they? Good luck. <laughs> but then it, but by and large, you thought it was an exciting Yeah, it was marvellous, you know, it was the most exciting we've done. A lot of people have been asking me to ask you this. Do you still get a, a sort of big kick out of the performance even now? Yeah, it's still, it's just the same, you know. You've, you forget who you are. You, yeah. Once you start, once you plug in and the noise starts, you just a group playing anywhere again. You forget the, you know, your Beatles yeah. or what your records are. You're just singing. And one final thing, do you find you can hear yourself when you're playing in all that noise? Uh, it depends on the amplification of that place we could hear. Okay. Also, we couldn't hear the voices so well. You got a bit of, you know, echo back. Mm. You, the bass was whacking through. Well, you could, I could hear the instruments because we were yeah. just on full blast. Yeah. Yeah. Good, great. The Beatles at Shea Stadium. A flying visit to Canada saw the Beatles front two shows at Toronto's Maple Leaf Gardens before heading south to Atlanta, Georgia, where Jerry G. Bishop caught up with John and George. How are you? We're heading into the busiest leg. You ready for it? You rested up on it? Yeah. Well, we can keep going for, for ages. <laughs> could you continue at a two-show-a-day pace, do you think, for more than a couple of weeks, really? Well, we could, you know, if... Um... We could if it was for this tour. I think we could do two shows a day. I mean, we don't have to because, like, like today, the place is so big that if we did two shows, there wouldn't be enough people, you know. But uh, last year was a bit rough for five weeks. You now that almost knocked us out. But this year, it's you know, I don't think we got any worries. You know, we can last out two and a half weeks easily. Well, you've got a five-day break in Los Angeles too. What are you looking forward to doing out there? Just getting away? Just. Just, um, well, the main thing about L.A. is that we're not stuck in a hotel. So we'll be in a house and we'll have a cook and we'll eat proper food. And, you know, we'll, we'll get a break from everybody, you know. I mean, in a hotel, it's just like a railway station in our part of the hotel because, you know, people come in and go in and it's just like one continual party, you know. But when we go away in the house, then we'll have a break. You'll have a pool out there, I guess. Well, I hope so. Get some sunshine. Uh, has the security seemed tighter on this trip than on the last one? Have less people have been able to get through to you? No, it's about the same. You know, the 
I think the places that we haven't that we've been to on this trip that we didn't go to last time, they've found out from places like New York how to control the crowds and things and what security precautions to take. But, you know, it's more or less the same as last year. John Lennon seated cross-legged on a bed in Atlanta, Georgia. Exactly. Where's music going? Uh, Pop music. Same tape as Paul's. Where's it going? I don't know. It's just going along, you know, steady. Isn't it going in a folk rock direction or a pop folk or, or do you believe in labels like that? Um, I don't believe in them, you know, they're, they're just something that if you're going to write about it, you've got to call it something. I'm talking about uh, the Bob Dylan, the birds. Yeah, it's, it's that way inclined, but it's not going to do anything spectacular, you know, like rock and roll did. It's not going to affect your music anyway. It has a bit, yeah, you know, I mean, we sort of take little bits from all kinds of music and folks, one of them. But it's not going to, not a big thing like rock was or like swing was or something like that. A lot of predictions in the trades about it getting very large, but uh, probably like people in the trades are always predicting, you know, but they're never right. They always predict after it's happened, anyway. You look for today's music to stay pretty much as it is, uh, drawing from all other kinds, really, huh? For the moment, you know, something's bound to come sometime, but not yet. No predictions as to I can't see any, you know, I can't see anything replacing sort of formula now. You know, there's enough variations of pop music to last for another five or six years. Are the Beatles the same Beatles they were two years ago, musically, or have you gone in new directions? Uh, we're not the same people, obviously, but um, the music has changed. We've improved. Paul and I write better songs. Are you doing this no, on purpose? He's looking for a direction, saying, let's go that way? No. You know, we 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 get crazies, so, you know, like anybody else. They think, we'll, we'll sound folky on this album, or let's do a let's do a real old rocker. You know, we just, just sort of get crazies. We never sort of have one direction, you know. The Lone Star State of Texas was next on the itinerary with some exhilarating shows at the Sam Houston Coliseum on the 19th of August, with John suffering from a particularly worn-out set of vocal cords. It's minor, it just means I can't sing. You sang last night. Yeah, but not very well. I can't do falsetto bits, that's the main thing. Is that why you cut out uh, Twist and Shout? Yeah, well, that's not falsetto, that just takes it out of me for, before we even start, you know. The bits in help, I'm, please, please help. My voice just cracked up the, the end bit of Ticket to Ride, and Paul keeps falling over laughing. Because I just, there's a wonderful noises coming out of my throat oh, like baby. a... Uh, yeah. uh, you had this before, you had a little problem with the throat last year on the tour. I, I always get one, every tour. Why is that? Because the tours are getting shorter. When we used to sing every night and every four hours a night in Hamburg places, I could go on and on for months. Because you... There he goes, folks. <laughs> Your throat gets used to it, but when you only do it every now and then, you know, and the, the, I always sing just... A bit too high for me, anyway. I had a theory about why your throat went bad. Uh, that? that theory is that you're playing for these large houses now, and the tendency is when a crowd is, you know, 55,000 oh, yeah. people, to sing louder and to push harder. You find that? You tend to do that and to sing sharp. That's where you got to sort of control yourself from shouting, because you just sing out of tune, trying to sing louder. Yeah, they want to mind their own business. It's our show, not theirs. You'd rather they scream. If they want to scream, scream, you know. I knew that system was so good they could have heard us if they'd been shooting guns. Exactly. They screamed in Atlanta and that system was a gas. Yeah. I don't like them telling them what to do. And they were also blasting off saying, if you're quiet, they'll sing more. We do 30 minutes, whatever's happening. So if you're listening, don't believe what any of that rubbish. You know, we just do 30 minutes even if the place is on fire. Thank you very much, everybody. We'd like to do a song now.
of our last album or LP or whatever it is. <laughs> and it's called Dizzy Miss Lizzie. Well, this next song now that we'd like to sing, the next song we'd like to sing is one which was our last but one record release. Hope you like this one, it's called Ticket to Ride. I think I'm gonna be sad, I think it's today. Got a 
Thank you. Sorry about that. Thank you very much. Thank you. Another flight north brought the Beatles back to Chicago, and Larry Kane was on hand to chat with the Fab Four backstage at Comiskey Park. With me, I have John Lennon in the uh, basement of Comiskey Park in Chicago. That's uh, right, baby. What'd you say? I said, That's right, baby. John, uh, last year most of the concerts were indoors, and this year the uh, majority of them have been outdoors. Which do you like better? Uh, I don't I don't care, you know, as long as it's not raining, I don't mind where it is. You guys today were as loose as I've ever seen you, I mean, just as relaxed. Was there any particular reason for this, or it just come naturally? I think it's, I mean, the, when you're playing just after you've got up in the morning, we tend to be hysterical in the morning, either very grumpy or hysterical, you know. So we were just sort of still really half asleep, you know. Um, I also noticed uh, that you were looking around at the stands behind you, you think this is bad psychological factor in the empty stands, even though they didn't sell that portion. Yeah, it does put you off a bit, you know, even though they keep saying, oh, we don't allow them to sit there, I'd sooner, I don't know, I wish they'd hide it. But there's also, thanks, also, kids always half behind, you know, and I'm look, really looking around so as they get to see something anyway. Has your wife ever seen one of your concerts? Yeah, she's seen, she used to see a lot of them, she hasn't seen us for quite a bit though. She enjoys them, but it's so she we, she gets to see us when we stay somewhere in England and do a show. Ever get any critiques from her on them? Oh yeah, well she used to come around with us a lot and say you're lousy tonight, you know, you're pulling those faces. She doesn't like me fooling around, clowning, you know. She says, why are you always pulling them stupid faces? I don't on TV, you know. I usually pull some kind of face. She doesn't like that. She wants me to be straight. You know? <laughs> John, thanks a lot for talking to us. Okay, Larry. Hi, Ringo. How are you? All right, Larry, how are you? Pretty good. Um, do you like these outdoor concerts, uh, like at Chase Stadium and here in Comiskey Park? Not as much as indoor with the people a bit closer, you know, because they're too far away, really. You lose some connection with the oh, audience. Yeah. 
Uh, when you're playing the drums and singing at the same time, uh, did it come naturally to do a song and play the drums with your hands and feet at yeah, first? It just started, you know. Uh, I was in an, another group and um, we used to play such long hours, it was in Germany, so everyone had to sing, you know, everyone sang a couple of songs to give them a break, you know, because we used to play for about seven hours. Now, seeing you guys every night, and you look tired at times, yeah. uh, do you ever get tired of the traveling bit? Well, the traveling knocks you out in the end, you know, you sort of get fed up of sitting on planes and in cars, and you want to just sit down for a year. Well, last year after the tour, you know, I, if I, find it hard, I found it hard for myself to get back to normal. Yeah, well, I, it took me about three months to get back to normal in Britain, because I was sort of sleeping and waking up all at the wrong times, you know, I just, you know, because it was so long and all the interstate changes, you know, with the times, and then the flight back to England, you know, I just didn't know what was happening when I got back. Everybody asks whether you'll be back for another tour, and you say, well, it's not up to us right now. Yeah. Do you want to come back for another tour? Yeah, yeah, that's the truth. We want to come. We, you know, we like the States. Ringo, thanks a lot for talking to us. Thanks a lot. Bye. Paul McCartney. How are you, Paul? Fine. Working okay. Before you came over to this country, did you have any uh, things in your mind about this country that were proved false later? You know, ideas. Yeah, I had lots of things in my mind uh, about them. And main, my main thing was um, I thought all Americans were like American tourists. And I'm sure, say, people in France must think that of, of or Spain must think that of Britons too, and Americans. That uh, something happens to a person when they go on tour, when they become a tourist. You, you know that if you sort of go to a place, you see lots of tourists, and it doesn't matter what nationality they are, they're all sort of, uh, they're all a bit crummy, you know, going around flashing everywhere and... I don't know, you know, it's a typical tourist kind of thing. Well, this is, a, this is a whole thing, you know. My, our impression over in England, generally, about Americans before we came here was of the big sort of Stetson hat. A Texan, really, you know, that was the whole image. Texan and big coloured tie and uh, oil wells everywhere and cameras and clicking and sort of saying, uh, you know, trying to talk French with an American accent. Pardon moi, mademoiselle. You know, and that's the kind of thing you think of. All right, but coming over here, I think that's been proved untrue, you know, because there are so many Americans who are great. One last question. Uh, uh, when the President Kennedy was assassinated, what were your first thoughts concerning this country, the assassination, and the fact that it happened at that hour in 1963? My first thought was idiots, you know. I just thought the whole thing was idiotic, you know, because anyone who wanted to shoot Kennedy, because, you know, uh, from my point of view and from a lot of people in England's point of view, he was the best president that America had had for an awful long time, you know, and he was creating a great image for America, and he seemed to be doing great things, you know. He seemed to have a good head on his shoulders, you know, sensible. And it was good for everyone, I thought, and, uh, you know, Russia was getting on quite well, it seemed to. I don't know whether it's, this was true, you know, this may have been all newspaper talk, but you'd get someone like sort of Khrushchev who was knocked out with Kennedy, you know, and he was also, and it seemed it seemed fine, and uh, just just the fact that someone bumped him off was uh, a big terrible big drag, you know, idiots, I thought. Paul, thanks a lot for talking to us. Okay, thank you. Minneapolis and Portland were next on the list before the Beatles flew into Los Angeles, ready for the closing shows of the tour, but not before enjoying five days off at a private estate. Well, as much as the Beatles could have time to themselves at any rate. Fans in rented helicopters circling overhead and relentless attempts by journalists to get a scoop 
punctuated the relative tranquility. But there was one surprise in store. Late in the evening of the 27th of August, the Beatles drove across town to Beverly Hills to meet one of their idols and early musical influences. And the new kids on the block had some advice for the elder statesman. Yesterday. What are your immediate reflections on your visit last night with Elvis Presley? Oh, uh, great, actually. I liked it a lot, you know, because I didn't expect him to be half as nice as he was. I understand he gave you guys a whole box full of records. Yeah, we asked the Colonel when we saw him the other day for um, Elvis's very early albums, which are deleted, I think, now in England. But they're the ones we liked, so he gave us a parcel each. Did he meet up to your expectations as far as a person? Or? He was more, he, he was a bit more than I anticipated. In what way? Well, um, I expect him to be quieter and for him not to have a, such a, uh, an amount of noise in his house. You know, it's great, just the record player, TV and electric guitars all playing all at once, you know. What did you do over there? Well, we had drinks, some played pool, some were playing roulette. We, we were playing electric guitars and playing records and watching TV, everything, you know. It was good. Did you have any uh, serious discussions about music? I talked just a little about asking him why he didn't record some of the the older stuff, or something like in the old style, because we thought that was much better. And he's, he's, I think he seemed to want to do something like that himself, you know. I understand uh, Malcolm Evans, uh, one of your road managers, is quite an Elvis fan. Did he get a kick out of it too? Yeah, well, Malcolm has been in Elvis's fan club for years and years, and he's got every record he's ever made. And, you know, he's just sort of grown up, and he works for us, but he likes Elvis more, you know. <laughs> and when he met him, it was, I think, the biggest thrill in his life. John, how are you? Fine, thanks, Larry. How are you? I'm pretty good. Uh, what were your immediate reflections of your meeting last night? With Elvis, it was great, you know, because we were all a bit nervous, and he was a bit nervous, because it's sort of embarrassing meeting people for the first time, especially if you want to meet them. Did you find them like you thought you'd find them, the type of person? Yeah, you know, he was he was just sort of as normal as you can be in that situation. You know, he was just like us. Tell me something, what are your immediate feelings and reflections about uh, your visit last night? I just loved it, you know, and it was it was just great because he was a great guy, you know. He was no big sort of showbiz thing, you know. Not that we ever thought he was, but you never know, you know. You meet people and suddenly, you know, they're not like you expect and you don't like them anymore, but we... It was great, we had a good time. Were you guys nervous before meeting him? A little, yeah. I honestly think we all were a bit sort of. But uh, the thing is, he was too, you know, so we were all in the same boat. Paul, uh, what are your uh, immediate reflections about last night? It was very nice, Larry. Very nice. I had a good time. Uh, he's a nice fella, just what I expected, in fact. And uh, we tried to persuade him to make some new records, like the old records. So we had a good we had a good laugh, a few drinks, uh, rocking and rolling, playing the instruments, and a uh, bit of billiards, bit of roulette. When you say uh, you try to persuade him to make some new records, what do you mean uh, by new records? Well, records more like the old sound used to be, you know, the wilder records that he had, because those are definitely our favourites. You know, we all love them, and uh, we think that he hasn't made any as good as that for a long time and uh, you know I think he tended to agree a bit last night because we were just saying it'd be great if he if he got into a recording studio and did some completely new tracks I hope he does because I'll be down to my record store with my shilling in my hand Good night the princes met the king and now 
The 28th of August saw the Beatles play at Balboa Stadium in San Diego, and the following two nights were devoted to shows at the legendary Hollywood Bowl. As they had done in 1964, Capitol Records recorded these shows with a view to releasing a live Beatles album in the US. As it would turn out, these recordings would not surface until 1977, combined with some tracks from the 1964 show. Nevertheless, the Beatles were captured at the height of their touring career. Hello, 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 hello. Thank you. Um, I tell you what, hang on just for a second. Would, if you'd like to, if you'd like to join in with this next song, would you like to join in? Yes, join in. And if you'd like to clap your hands, stamp your feet, or do anything like that. And with the help of my friend at the back here, we'd like to do a song called Can't Buy Me Love. I can't buy me love. Love. Can't buy me love. i buy you a diamond ring, my friend, if it makes you feel alright. I'll get you anything, my friend, if it makes you feel alright. Cause I don't care too much for money Come on again, buy me love I'll give you all I've got to give If you say you love me too I may not have a lot to give What I got, I'll give to you Cause I don't care too much for money Come on again, buy me love And buy me love Everybody know me so And buy me love And I'll be satisfied Tell me that you want the kind of thing That money just can't buy Cause I don't care too much for money I'm only getting by me Thank you, Paul. It's great working with you. We'd like to do another song off another album, off another LP, off another long player. And this one's a waltz. Remember that. Oh, we're all ready, are we, Jack? Ready to go again? It's a slow number. Let's go, Babies in Black. Oh, dear, what can I do? Baby's in black and I'm feeling to tell me, oh, what can I do? She thinks of him 
And so she dresses in black And though he'll never come back She dressed in black Oh dear, what can I do? Baby's in black And I'm feeling blue Tell me, oh, what can I do? Goodbye to the you know, USA, it's been great, and we'll be back next year if you still want us, and we'll probably see you next year. Pringo, before we go, this is goodbye for us, and I want to thank you for being so nice all through this tour, and yeah, well, it's been a pleasure. Thanks a lot, Jerry. It's been a pleasure having you. I enjoyed it. Thanks a lot, Jerry. See you next time. Okay, Jerry. Bye, Jerry. Paul, I want to thank you for being so nice to us. You'll have to come on the next one. It's just, it's just a good laugh, the tour, you know, it's good. We've enjoyed having you with us. George, I want to thank you. I know you have a farewell thank statement. Thank you, Bernie. Jerry. <laughs> Jerry. I know you've got a farewell statement for everybody. It's almost definite that we'll be back around the same time next year. Um, and so, if you didn't see us this time, maybe you'll see us next time if you want to, and I hope you do. And all those who don't want to see us, never mind. Two final shows at San Francisco's Cow Palace brought the 1965 US tour to an end with the Beatles returning to London in the early hours of the 2nd of September. Compared to their five-week 1964 tour, this outing was only half as long, playing some cities from the first tour and adding some new ones this time around. The plan, of course, was to tour America again in the summer of 1966, but a lot would change in the next 12 months. Well, that's it for this episode. Next time we reconvene at Abbey Road Studios to sit in with the Beatles as they write and record their second album for 1965. One which would see some major creative advances. Until next time, 